Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and Ben Gracier, back in the dark on the data mining team. It's episode 35. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to talk about how our draft week went, some announcements, listener of the week, card of the week, seven win run breakdown. Then our main topic, we're going to discuss uh, our Discord poll about the top commons in each color. And then we're going to do a summary of Ben's five-part phase theory and applying that to set seven cards. And finally, we'll go over a few picks in a draft. So let's begin. Ben, how was your draft week? Oh, the draft week was pretty good. I went on for just a a short stream to record some draft picks for for last week's episode, and I ended up streaming for four hours uh, with 500 viewers, thanks to a big host by uh, It's Barry Adam. Uh, thank you very much, sir. Uh, had some really good games there, some some good wins and some good losses, and that's that's hard to find those sometimes. That's a tough one. I feel like you know when you stream. Not that I've streamed very much, but then. The second you start getting viewers, you're like, well, even though I was about to get off, I like, <laughs> I, have to, yeah. I have to stream now. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I was, I did a whole nother draft after I thought I was going to be done just because I had these 500 viewers. Like, what are you going to do? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. How'd your week go, Patrick? Uh, my week went pretty well. I've, I've only done two drafts this week, but I got one seven win and it was a pretty strong Elysian deck. I have another deck on ready to ready to go well drafted but not i haven't made the deck yet it's kind of funny i've uh spent these last two episodes talking about how i was very skeptical of the muster deck and so far i've had i think all three of my drafts have been turned into muster decks yeah that's great have you done any splashing to to pull in any of the enablers and the other colors or just straight elision no i've been pretty good with straight elision my first draft was actually Cambrai, but it had a few of the time muster cards. So it wasn't really a muster deck. And that was the deck I talked about last week, where I quickly learned that this format can get into these giant board stalls. And unless you have something to break it, you can be in trouble. In that draft, one of my games was 30 turns. Oh, my goodness. I know. And then I thought, where it was like getting to that point where I was like counting cards and I was like, ah, I think I can win the, you know, win this and have them deck themselves first. And then with like five cards left, they played a Lumen Reclaimer. <laughs> and you didn't play like, around the Lumen Reclaimer? No. I mean... I, yeah, well, I couldn't have done anything because I had no cards to break the board stall. Oh, jeez. But yeah, so so my last two decks, I've just drafted a ton of flyers, and that seems to have been working uh, so far. Yeah, it's a pretty good strategy. If you're going to create a board stall, you have to have some some way to uh, either fly over or push through, or you're just going to end up losing when your opponent draws those cards. Exactly. Yeah, and that Combray deck I did, I splashed a single Draconis, the, mm. the seven-cost uh, flyer, but that was like literally my only win condition, more or less. <laughs> yeah. So if That's they had any way to deal with that. Splash. You don't need many sources for that. No, it's. it's a, I think it's a great card to splash. But 
when you just have one card that can win you the game, if yeah, you don't draw it or they, <laughs> or they have a way to deal with it, you're in trouble. Oh, they had their, they had one answer in their whole deck. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Uh, let's move on to announcements. Sure. So as always, we like to thank our patrons in this part of the show. So we've got no new patrons this week, but I'd like to thank Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Toku, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Marshall, Cassandrith, Jed the Homerid, Raven Dragon, Srich0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistout. Thank you again, everyone, for supporting the show. You sort of motivate us and really make this possible. It means a lot. Th- thank you very much for contributing your hard-earned dollars to to the show. Yeah, Thank hard-earned you. dollars and hard-earned times. I mean, everyone who's a oh, patron yeah. also really contributes a lot to the Discord, and it's been really great. Yeah. Okay, and then, but we've had a few people go above and beyond these last couple of weeks, Ben, so would you like to talk about that? Sure. I uh, put out a call for assistance in the administrative links channel of the Discord for a few uh, little tasks that we have to do every week, and Patrick and I are both very busy, so some people were kind enough to step up and provide assistance, and I would say the person who did perhaps the most here was Raven Dragon. Raven Dragon really uh, took over a lot of the spreadsheet work. Um, Whenever we do a set transition, there's a lot of work behind the scenes to get everything working again, especially with a new set. Uh, When they rotate the curated pack, sometimes it's not as big of a deal, but with a new set, there's just a ton of data entry that needs to be done. So Raven Dragon took the lead there, and uh, John Holio, XI550, and Jed the Homerit are all helping out. Uh, another ship was doing uh, pinned posts. Like, there's there's a lot of things to do, and a lot of people are stepping up to do them, which is really awesome. I, I really appreciate the help. So, Ben, what's your card of the week? Uh, well, I had a draft recently with four Minotaur Oathkeepers, and that card is extremely good. It's in the curated packs, but it does a very good job getting you off to a nice aggressive start. It attacks for two on uh, turn two. So that Minotaur Oathkeeper is a... Uh, one justice, one one, uh, and whenever a creature attacks alone, that creature gets plus one plus one. And so, uh, when you cast your Minotaur Oathkeeper on turn one and attack with it on turn two, it's a two two. So that's a pretty nice uh, aggressive start, and it can make it stacks with itself. So if you have more than one Minotaur Oathkeeper, it would be plus two plus two, um, and uh, it just. If you have like similarly sized creatures as your opponent, your creatures are bigger then. And in the developing stage, typically you do have creatures of the same size because how big can a creature be that, that costs uh, two power? So it just means that your creatures are bigger. It's kind of continuously bigger. You, you need some other stuff to follow it up. You need two drops, three drops, but my deck had a lot of those as well. And it, it really performed well. Uh, so... I would say take your Minotaur Oathkeepers if you're an aggressive Justice deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, this has been, I think, a standout card in a lot of formats. It's always yeah. just been a solid role player, I guess you would describe it as. Yeah, I don't think it's very good in um, mid-range uh, or control. It's not very good on defense because it's a one-power, one-one. Right. And it doesn't make your creatures bigger on defense. Uh, so you kind of have to be aggressive to to get the benefit out of it, but just be aggressive and uh, you'll you'll have good times. Mm-hmm. What about you, Patrick? What what do you want to call out? Yeah, well, well, just the one thing. I don't know if I would say it's bad in mid range. I mean, 
It's bad. You you think? Because I oh, think yeah. in like in a stereotypical mid range deck where you want to like curve out and sort of play kind of go up the curve, it sort of works ideally there because you often just have a single unit to attack as compared to in like a sort of a smaller low to the ground aggro deck where you're going a little wider. I guess it maybe it depends on what our definition of mid-range is. Well, so the, here's why I think it's maybe not as good in, in mid-range. So against aggro, you're not going to be attacking with anything. You're going to be holding them back. And so it does kind of nothing in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can increase your clock if you have small flyers or whatever, but you don't want to play like a heist in your deck. Um, and when Minotaur Oathkeeper is in heist mode, that's that's not great. The, the other thing about it... it so not real great against aggro and then against other mid-range decks there's a lot of double blocking going on a lot of board stalls and plus one plus one it just means they double block and you kill typically the same things and then you just have this one one in your deck that's that's not great now if you can break uh parity and you have a flyer or whatever then this does increase your clock gives them less turns to draw their answers but i would rather just have another creature that uh, enables you to get to that board stall situation or that is actually a threat on its own because this requires you to draw that other threat to be good. Uh, so I'd rather just have like a 2-2 flyer for 4 or whatever uh, than this card because then it's another live top deck in the in a board stall situation. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it's, it's not terrible. It's just not like a high pick, let's say. Whereas I think it is a very high pick in an aggressive deck. Yeah, I guess I just find, like, in very aggressive decks, its ability sort of becomes meaningless, because oftentimes you're trying to go around opponents, as com- you know, by attacking with multiple creatures. Yeah, sometimes you do that, too, but and then they're not blocking this. They're going right. to block your 3-3 three, three or whatever, so you get in. It, it's a 1-1 one, one that gets in for damage. And then if you do kind of a, a trade action there and some stuff gets traded off, then its ability turns back on again, and it can work. Mm-hmm. And, and it means it just means if you're at parity, you're ahead. Like if you have a 2-2 in this guy and they have a 2-2, you can attack. If you have a 2-2 and they have a 3-3, you can attack. So whereas if you didn't have this, you have a 2-2 and a random 1-1, you can't do anything. Whereas so the Minotaur, Minotaur Oathkeeper is a live card in like a lot of situations, especially on curve. Now, sometimes you don't attack with it, because you want to trigger the plus one. Sometimes you attack with it anyway. Some it, Its ability isn't always on. Yeah. But it, I would say it's on half the time. And mm. that's pretty powerful. No, I agree. that It's a card that kind of performs better than it looks a little bit. Yeah. It's also extremely good with, like, quick draw, with um, high attack, low health units. Mm-hmm. It's good with flying. It's good with... Life steal, overwhelm. A lot of the evangels work really well with it. Works well with berserk because you get the buff and then you get the buff again right. on the berserk attack. Even if you attack with other things, so if you attack with like three units and one of them is berserking, you'll get the berserk. You you get the uh, minotaur super buff on the yeah. second attack. Yeah, so it can do a lot of damage. All right, so now for my card of the week, I am talking about spectral scythe, which is the three shadow shadow plus two, plus three, relic weapon with the text unblockable. Yeah, interesting. So how does this, what, what does unblockable do when it's when you put it on yourself? 
It allows you to hit face. Uh, so this is a, a rare, so you won't see this card very often. But when I looked at this card the first time, I sort of immediately dismissed it because, you know, three costs for two, three weapon is relic weapon is not a super great rate. But and, we had that already in a, in a justice weapon in the past format, right? And that card yes. was not very good. So the unblockable on this is what's carrying it. Yeah, if anything is carrying it. <laughs> so do you, are you arguing that it's, it, would you would you pick this? It is a little hard to cast, it's double double shadow. Do you, do you view it as a removal spell or as like a flying unit? Yeah, well, what I wanted to say about it is like, this is a card that I think, like we just discussed, doesn't look great. When you think of relic weapons, I think the main thing that people think about is whether you can use them to sort of get a two for one and how good they are as a removal spell. Yeah. But this this card is obviously not trying to be a removal spell. Like the unblockable part of this is sort of hinting at that there's something else going on with this card. And it hadn't really occurred to me until Raven Dragon brought it up in the Discord in the card discussion channel, sort of asking what other people thought about this card. Because like what I mentioned in... Um, how my draft week went. This format feels like it has a lot of board stalls. And if you're in a board stall, this just becomes a deal two damage every single turn while your units just stare at each other. And so Mm -hmm. she mentioned how in one of her games, she got 16 points of face damage with this weapon because there were... neither player could do any good attacks. And just looking at the weapon, I hadn't really thought about it as an evasive threat that can just chip in for damage every turn until you win the game. Yeah. It's not very good, I would say, if they have flying units. Like, if they have small flyers and you can kill them, then you play this, you kill their threat, and then you get your two damage in every turn. Mm -hmm. That seems okay. But if they have, like, Archive Curator... Or uh, something a little uh, a little larger, you're gonna you, you're not gonna get the damage in turn after turn. It, it'll be more of a removal spell at that point. And I'm I'm not wild about it as a removal spell. Now there are a lot of there's a fair number of two twos in the format. I would say. So yes. You you can't hope to get a, a two for one out of the the card. Right, but I think your hope is, I mean, if you've drafted a deck to really gum up the board both on the ground and in the air like if you have your own archive curators there's also so much you know so much silence in this format that i think that it is very possible to just completely gum up the board maybe maybe i i haven't gotten into those situations myself the the big board stalls i've been playing mainly from behind against aggressive decks or i've been the aggressive deck and my opponents have not been able to stabilize, I would say. But this, I mean, it, it's okay. I, th- I think this is not a bad card, just as a reinforced baton. But I don't know. I, I guess it's it's got to be better than reinforced baton, because unblockable is better than nothing. That's it's interesting. I would definitely overlook this card if, if I just saw it in a draft pack right now. So this, I think this is a good one to talk about. I don't think this is a great card, but I do think that... It is a card, actually kind of going with the phase theory, it's one of these interesting cards that's, it's okay on curve or in development or whatever, it's a reinforced 
baton. Yeah. But it does have a second mode. It has sort of a late game board parody yeah. mode to it. Good and good I in parody. I agree with that. It I think that that is we talked before about how cards that are just like medium in certain phases, but the fact that they are applicable in many phases actually sort of raises the grade for the card. And I think this might be this is an example of that. Yeah. I think it's not bad when you're winning either because mm-hmm. they can't they can't stop the damage. I just think it's pretty bad in uh, development. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's very good when you're losing. So those are two phases that I think are very important. I, I think it is good in the other phases, so I think that's reasonable. Yeah, and I can't really speak to how good it is in development because I'm not I haven't really gotten a good enough sense to know like what the ratio of two twos to three threes or whatever are. You know, if a lot of the three cost units are still two twos, then this is that's fine. Real bad, yeah. <laughs> but, bad bad for those units. Yeah. I found this to generally be a pretty high power format. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm playing a lot of three power three threes and uh, two power two two is like the minimum there. And yeah. we have an Argentport soldier clone back in as a uh, I can't remember what that card is called, but it's a three two paladin for two justice. Yeah, a Zultin something or other. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the seven one run breakdown. So we have a long-standing data collection project here at Farming Eternal. Our listeners uh, mail us their seven-win draft lists to farmingeternal at gmail.com or submit them to a dedicated Discord channel for this purpose. Uh, We take those seven-win lists and um, consolidate them in various spreadsheets, and then we do data analysis on top of them so that we can tell you things like, in the previous format, Corrupted Behemoth and Retribution were the strongest performing comments. Uh, and we don't just do that for the strongest performing commons. We know it for every card in the format. So it's it's a very powerful tool, but it's enabled by our listeners submitting us lists. So we really appreciate that. Uh, and part of the appreciation is to call out the submitters uh, on the podcast. Now, uh, we're a little behind on the deck entering, so give us a little bit of leeway here. But we do have 50 lists from the 7.0 format entered into um, my spreadsheet and soon Patrick's spreadsheet uh, from 29 competitors, uh, contributors, sorry. John Holyo has been doing some of the deck entering, so thank you very much there, sir. Uh, the new contributors this week are Aberosh, Comet with five lists, Hangover Joe, MLNTM, Murder of Crows, Tall Shark and Handsome, and Wang. Our veteran contributors are Agent Dynamo with three lists, Barefoot Farmer, a sighting there, which uh, makes us happy. Camel Milk, Celtic Seven Guardian, Darth Herman Two, FS Forward Sound, Gato Sujo, Hats on lam- Lamps with five lists, Jedi EJ, Jed the Hammerhead, Cassandrath, Max Sen Scam, Mancio 1982, Marshall Dillon with four lists, Mercurio Blue, Nether Ship, Out on a Limb, Rofer, Star Storm, Sunblaze, Surf Wizard, and Yistam. Thank you all very much for for your uh, your submissions so far, and we'll be getting the rest of the lists into the sheet as soon as we can. So now this is not quite the seven win run breakdown, but for the main topic, we're going to kind of talk about some similar things. So since we didn't have the the data from the spreadsheets yet, I did a a little disc. Well, I had Jed <laughs> Jed do a little <laughs> Discord poll. 
Uh, thank you, Jed the Hummerin. Yes, thank you, Jed. I appreciate it. Um, where we just asked everyone in Discord what they thought the top common in each color was, as well as the top multicolor common. And we got some pretty interesting results. We only did it yesterday as for when we record this episode, but 24 people participated. So that was, I wanna say thank you to everyone who did take the time to you know, click a few buttons. That is much appreciated. Shall we go through these, Ben? Sounds good. First is fire, and I think fire was the most contentious color. It was more spread out than most of the other colors, as we'll see. Yeah, the number one had less than 50% of the votes. Yeah. So, yeah, so what was the number one? The number one was Warhorn, which is the four-cost fire weapon that gives plus two, plus two, and when the welder, the wielder hits the enemy player, create and draw a 2-2 two, two Oni Grunt. Sure, and that costs two to you'd have to cast it as well, but yes. Yeah. So this is really interesting. So it's a weapon, right? So it powers up mastery uh, and muster if you're in those colors. It also does a pretty good job on on flying units, mm -hmm. uh, quick draw that sort of thing, um, and it's pretty good in a racing situation, right? Because uh, Typically, you'll be able to get in for damage in those racing situations, and you'll just be generating more and more threats, which is pretty cool. Work, mm -hmm. Works well if you have the flyer or if they have the flyer. Either way, you're, you're going to be doing pretty good here. What do you think about four power plus two plus two? Yeah, you know, in the in the last two formats, there was the um, Backpacker's Machete, which is the three-cost plus two plus two fire weapon that, that, scout, yeah. that scouted. And that was pretty good, I think, in set six. And then people kind of were slightly more down on it in 6.5. So that also had sort of a variable power rating based on the cards of the set. And this one, I have, I guess I have a little trouble seeing this as a, a great card. It feels a little win more to me. Do you mm -hmm. know, like in the situations where it's great, I'm sure it's really great. But those are situations where you probably are winning anyway. When you're like playing a slow speed weapon and then hitting your unit and then drawing drawing a card, a, which is a 2-2 Oni Grunt, and then hitting in again, getting more Oni Grunts, building your board and winning. A, you know, it feels like you play this card when you're winning a race and then you really win the race. Oh, yeah. That is somewhat valuable. I think it's going to be pretty hard to play the Oni Grunt on the same turn you cast this in most decks that will have this in it. Yeah. So you're probably going to play the Grunt the next turn, which is takes a little bit of the excitement away from that, I would say. <laughs> There's a good chance you're playing two Oni Grunts that turn. You know? Assuming you can get through the second time. I think, so in my experience against this card, I would say that my opponents have almost always gotten in the first hit when they chose to play this. Now, maybe they had it in their hand and couldn't play it because I could block their creature or something like that, but they typically get the first hit in. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I don't know that they've gotten the second hit in uh, against me. And the only times I've gotten more than one creature out of it is when I put it on a flying creature. And it's I would say it is quite good on a flying creature because... The thing you want when you're hitting them with a flyer is to stall out the ground. This stalls out the ground. And this also does, you know, quite a bit more damage than you would have been doing normally. 
so I think it's it's quite good in that situation. But I don't know like how many red flyers there really are, how many fire flyers. Uh, so maybe there's some in some other color um, mm-hmm. that you could use. It would trigger twice off putting it on the Evangel that has Berserk. But I'm a little skeptical of this card, I think, because mostly it has been Crownwatch Longsword plus, you know, Stranger that doesn't give you influence um, against me. And that's that's fine, but it's I, I, I like some of the other cards a little bit more. What's interesting is this card is a common. I, it feels a little uncommon-ish yeah, to me. It's complicated. It's complicated. It's, in a sense, card advantage. And it's a card that I don't think you want too many copies of. This is not a card that you're playing three, four copies of. Which, yeah. which I guess for me is what makes it not the best common. Yeah. I think it's bad on defense. Yeah. Like, it's very bad on defense. Um, it is pretty good also with Exalted, and Exalted is something that Fire does have some uh, cards in. Like, it's quite good on the 4-2 Overwhelm uh, Exalted unit, because you make a 6-4 Overwhelm unit, and then you put yeah. a 6-4 weapon on something, so you kind of persist the stats over. Um, so I think there are some scenarios where it's good, but I, I do agree with you that it's a little more narrow than... Um, what I would expect out of a number one card in a color. So what, what are else? the other couple yeah. cards that got votes? So um, Warbrush Oni, which was uh, the Misplay Podcast's uh, spoiler card, got about 25% of the votes. Uh, it's a 2-1 for 2 and a single fire. And when it comes into play, uh, each unit and weapon in your hand gets one attack permanently. So this has kind of a... Um, Trial of Grodov, unlock potential uh, sort of feel to it. Uh, I like this card a lot more, like a lot more, than uh, Trial of Grodov because, one, for one, you get a 2-1 instead of nothing, and it buffs both units and weapons. And you're probably going to have some weapons in this format, like Warhorn, for example. So I, I think this card is quite strong. I think it's one of the best two drops in the format. There are a lot of two drops in the format, so the competition does hurt it a little bit here. Like I've often had too many two drops in my aggressive decks, uh, but I think it is quite strong. And then uh, Living Mountain also got quite a few votes. That's the five uh, single fire four four that uh, gives another unit plus two plus two on summon uh, and overwhelm. So that's pretty good for mastery, pretty good for exalted, pretty good for all sorts of things. For um, winning the game. For winning the game, exactly. You have some big guy, uh, one of these, like the 4-1 for 3, does pretty well when you give it plus 2, plus 2, and overwhelm. There, there's just a lot of good combos with this. Now, I've looked at this card a lot of times, and I said, hmm, this card's pretty good, and then I've picked something else. So I haven't actually picked this card yet, because it is a 5-drop, and in an aggressive deck, you can't play a ton of 5-drops. But I, I do think that this is one of the cards that um, I am moderately excited about drafting. I just haven't been able to so far. Yeah. All right, shall we move on to time? Yeah, time's kind of interesting. What were the results there? We had unanimous vote for Grodov's Favored, which I think is not uh, unsurprising. <laughs> yeah, that, that card's pretty good. So it's a 6 times 6-5. Six 
that on summon silences another unit. Now six times six five is pretty good. Ancient Terrazon was a five power six five, but it was double time. Mm-hmm. And I would gladly pay one more power on basically any stat line to silence a unit. Uh, and you're, you're not really overpaying for, for this unit, that's for sure. Right. Uh, what, what kind of impact does this have on the ability of time decks to like do their thing? Uh, I mean, this is just, I think, a great card all around. It's you're putting, you're clogging the board and taking down a flyer, probably, or yeah. just dealing with a troublesome permanent. If they don't have big units, this is sort of your big beefy finisher. If they do have big units, you're hopefully clearing the air to get your flyers in. Yeah. So it kind of does a little bit of everything. I yeah. will say I am surprised, you know, especially based on how a few of the other colors had, you know, some people just sort of picking a random card here or there. Not ra- I <laughs> not random card, but you know what I mean? Like picking sure. sort of not not going with the consensus. People have different nope. opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Because Spike Tail Kieran is a strong time card. And is it is that the two two that buffs your team? Yes. And then there's the two four that generates flyers with muster. And there's yeah. some good cards in time. But yeah, yeah, I agree. It's interesting that they went hundred percent towards Gridoff's favor. Yeah, because I I've actually been more impressed the more I've uh, lost to the spike tailed Kieran, which is again the two cost two two that you can pay six to give it plus four plus four. Yeah, plus and it has four, mastery plus six yeah. and mastery six exactly, and that has a little bit of the Grodov's favor, you know, where it's good early, it's good late. And it does a little bit of... It's such a flexible card that yeah. I I could definitely see the argument for it being a good pack one, pick one card. I I agree. But the, I like it's very interesting that we saw 100% of people go with this. And I wonder if that's because like people saw that it was 100%, so they voted for it or something like that. I don't know. But I, I do think this card is really good. And it... Like it, it combos with itself. Yes. I think that's the most important part. It makes a big guy, and they're going to have to deal with that big guy. Like the silence, silence is really good against mastery. Typically, those units are understated. It's really good against exalted. Typically, those units are understated. It's really good against flying. It's uh, okay against muster. Like you silence their important muster payoffs or their flyers or whatever. It's just really good against a lot of the set mechanics. Uh, yes. And 6-5 is a really good stat line for breaking through board stalls. Okay, so now Justice. So Justice had all but one person vote for draw strength. And I think that that's, this is a little less surprising than the time, because the, the time results. Because draw strength is just really strong. Uh, it's a one-power combat trick that uh, gives... Uh, as much attack and health as your opponents have creatures. Right. So if there's any kind of a board stall at all, it's a, just a huge combat trick. It also has a decimate ability attached to it that's like a triple war cry, which works pretty well. Uh, it's a good way to, like, it's a good thing to have a, the ability to do late in the game. Uh, nice little extra ability stapled on there. We did have one uh, one dissenter who picked Oni Stalwart, which is the 1-4 endurance for 3. 
I'm not, I don't know about that card. I, it was uh, one of the people who submitted the most seven win lists, so I, I believe them. But when my opponents have played this, this has been a three power one four. And when I have played it, it has been a three power one four. So maybe those people were not playing enough weapons. Maybe they weren't playing enough draw strengths because <laughs> draw strength in this is pretty good. But yeah, I think I think I would take draw strength over this uh, pretty easily. But maybe uh, maybe I'm mistaken there. Yeah, I I mean I, I think this is a the Oni stalwart is a pretty good card. Like you said, I also I mean I chose draw strength. I would pick draw strength over an Oni stalwart. But at least in my experience, the Oni stalwart has been a pretty good card. Yeah, the problem is is just the one attack. Like, you have to have something with it, or it just doesn't do anything. It doesn't really trade with anything on defense. Like, granted, you can you can block with it, but you only get a quarter of the way to master each time. You really yeah, need no, to be doing something to, to yeah, pull this up. that's true. But it, I, it is one of those units that can really stop cold certain decks. Like, certain decks, I feel like, really can't attack into this unit. Because once you do get a 3-6 th- a weapon, or a 3-6 endurance unit for 3, you're just never beating that. Yeah, I think if it was like Mastery 2, or if it was a 2-4 or something like that, then I would agree with you. But just the one damage at the time, my opponents played this against my aggressive decks, and it just like didn't really matter. Just attack around it, it never... It won't trigger the mastery in a relevant time frame. Uh, so, like I say, if you have if you have a draw strength to go with it, if you have a um, set some other combat trick, then I'll believe it that this is a good card. But you need that other card, or this mm. is not doing much. So, what about primal? Were there any primal cards that showed up pretty well that we might have talked about in the past date? Yeah, uh, so far the. The number the number one vote getter for Primal was the Skyhorror Draconis, which got 15 votes out of 24. Uh, it was followed by the Primal Evangel and the Rosebloom Mandrake. So the Skyhorror... <laughs> yeah. What? Strong competition there. Yeah, the Skyhorror <laughs> Draconis was the 7 Primal 4-5 Flying, Mastery 5 play of Permafrost on an enemy unit. And then there was... The Evangel, which is the 2-2 Overwhelm, and then Rosebloom Mandrake is the 8 Primal 6-6 Overwhelm. Rosebloom Mandrake costs 6 less when the enemy player has 10 or more cards in their void. Yeah. Now, I did play two of these in a deck uh, on my stream uh, last week, and it was good, but it like the, this is the state of Primal Common sounds a little familiar to me, with the old uh, set, six, set six time frame, where they didn't really have any primal commons at all, uh, and they were relying on their uncommons. I hope that primal's not in the same state that it was in the last format. Because, like, Skyhorn Draconis, it's a fine card. You can splash it. You can play probably two of these in a deck. But I'd, I can't imagine playing three or four. Uh, it's, it's like seven is just so much. Yeah. And the Mandrake, like, you got... I, I had Mill in that deck. You know, the uh, Shadow 3-3 three, three that mills both players for three. And some other, you know, minor mill effects. 
And this came out on like turn six or turn seven quite quite often. Uh, just <laughs> pay, pay pay like full retail basically for this. Uh, I was never getting it on turn three or four or anything like that. Yeah, it's no, just you're definitely not going to happen in most decks. I mean, I think the I think the your best hope is you're able to double spell on a turn six or seven. So even though you're sort of playing it at the normal time that you would if you were paying it for full cost, you're getting you're playing this and getting a little extra with a second spell. Yeah. I, I yep. think there are some draws where you could probably play it on turn four um, with like the crow or whatever. Um, but it's gonna be it's gonna be hard. Uh, so I, I would I would see this like you say where it's a it's it'll be cheaper later. Yeah. And hopefully uh, get in there. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I haven't noticed the primal commons being that bad so far. I mean, I think they are definitely better than they were as a as a group than set six. I don't where, know, like one one flyer for two, two one flyer for three. That's it, a little, it's a little unexciting. But go ahead. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like set six. Uh, uh, I just wish there was a two one flyer for three. Okay, sure. I'm not saying they're great, but there are cards that I'm like happy to play, and that was a lot less common of a feeling in set six. All right, so now moving to Shadow. Uh, the card with the most votes is Immortalize, which is the two Shadow draw unit from your Void, Decimate, it gets Exalted. And that was sort of far and away the winner, but uh, the second most highest vote getter was Marsh Dragon, which is the 5 shadow, 3-1, flying. Summon, you may sacrifice another unit to gain health equal to the number of units in your void and give Marsh Dragon that much health. These are pretty interesting results. The first one with the Immortalize, I haven't played with this card, and I'm still a little hesitant, like because we've talked about before on this show, show where Dark Return hasn't always performed as well as it seems to perform in the general community for us. Um, and Immortalize has similar problems, except it doesn't make the unit bigger, nor does it cost one. Though the Decimate ability is interesting. I think you have to Decimate this for it to be good, and I think it is really good when you Decimate it. Like, putting... Ex so, typically with Exalted, you pay quite a lot in terms of power cost to make the unit Exalted. Like you'll have a three power one, one quick draw, mm -hmm. or you'll have a five power two, one flyer. That's like, you're paying two extra for that. When you uh, give Exalted to a unit that doesn't, uh, is just a normal unit, uh, you're not paying that two extra, or you're paying it across two turns where it's not, you know, you don't have the full effect of it. And Exalted is just such a threatening keyword. You get a flyer back with this, just a normal flyer, or a, yeah, some just huge creature. Like it, it's just so dangerous. Now, the the thing that makes me like this a little more in this format than in previous formats is Sunset Priest. A Sunset Priest is a three power three three, which is perfectly fine in Shadow, and on Summon it mills both players for three. So you're not paying anything for that. You just mm -hmm. get a three power three three. I was playing Yeti Instigator. Well, when you incidentally put cards in your void, a card that gets those cards back is 
is less of a like win more because you need to get your bomb back or whatever and more of a well you get a chance at drawing your powerful card even though you didn't draw it in the first place and my deck had like three or four sunset priests and one or two of these immortalizes and it was real good you'd get your good cards back a lot of the time with the immortalize so i think that self-milling the more the more you can put your own cards in the in the void mm-hmm. the, the better this card's going to get yeah and that's uh, interesting that you say that because marsh dragon sort of plays off the same thing yeah i think actually the, my my biggest problem with marsh dragon is i'm just every time i play it or or i guess every time my opponent plays it i'm always surprised that it doesn't get the health of the unit it sacrifices it does get the health of the units. Oh, it gets one point of health from that unit dying, but it doesn't yeah. get that that unit's health. Yeah, you want to sack a small unit. Yes, and I'm because that's the thing is I'm I, yeah, but it, it, in fact you sack a unit, but then you gain you gain health equal to the number of units in your graveyard or in your void. So it's kind of this weird thing, which is. Which is, it's nice because it allows you to sacrifice a small unit and potentially get a big benefit from sacrificing a small yeah. unit. Um, but it's, it's, it's still tricky. I mean, the fact that it is a three attack flyer, I think just, it can only be so bad. Um, yeah. If it was, if it was like just a three, three flyer for five, that would be perfectly uh, first pickable. But yes. uh, that you have to sack a unit is a little bit of a cause, but in like the the places where this is going to be at its best are in the large board stalls, and typically you can sack, you know, some random creature in a large board stall to uh, ensure that your flyer lives through damage based removal mm-hmm. or kills other flyers. Yeah. So I think I think the card is pretty good. I've, yeah. I've played it a couple times. It's a little hard to to uh, wrap your head around for something that. It kind of just has the one ability, um, but yeah, it's but yeah, it can so, be pretty big. Yeah. It, oh, no, sorry. And so, yeah, like we were saying, you know, so if you are if you are in the shadow decks with that incidental self mill, that's when this becomes pretty interesting because you're getting a lot of you know not only is this getting health but you're getting health, and so it. So you're really swinging a race in in that sense because you're playing a three attack flyer, which now has a really big butt, so it's harder to kill, and you're gaining health. So if they're attacking in, they're not really expecting you to both play a big threat as well as, in one sense, answer their their damage. Yeah. So kind of like an elder astrologer type effect mm-hmm. in that respect. Uh, I think you do need to have some sacrifice fodder for this. It is also a sacrifice enabler for things like uh, the plus three, plus three in Exalted Injustice, or um, just getting an Exalted unit off the board and moving the buff somewhere else. Sometimes you want to get rid of your little 1-1 lifestealer and your opponent isn't doing you any favors by killing it, so you sacrifice it and make your three power flyer into a four power flyer with lifesteal. That's a pretty big threat. 
so I think there's a lot of little things that this can do. And I think it's just a good card. It is. It does... You need to enable it. And I think it's hurt quite a lot by silence. Because you, you, you didn't sack a unit to typically gain... I mean, you do gain the life, and that's important. But... Um, you wanted to have a big flyer that wins the game for sacking your unit. And if it gets silenced, then you kind of don't have that. Like, you wanted to kill them. You didn't yeah. want to have a ground blocker or whatever. So uh, my marsh dragons have been killed or silenced, but they have forced my opponents to kill or silence them or they would have died. So. Yeah. All right. And then the final question I asked was, which was the best multi-faction common? And so they're, you know, all 10 of the, all 10 of the color pairs are represented by a multi-faction card. And the card that got the most votes was the Intrepid Longhorn, which got over 75% of the votes. And that is the Combray card. So that's two Combray, three, three, mastery six, play a random sigil from your deck. Um, coming in second and third, respectively, are Acclaimed Artisan, which is the two Rakano, two, three. Your other Oni have plus one attack, Mastery four, Exalted. And Misery Walker, which is the three Huru, two, three, flying in lifesteal while an enemy is cursed. Yeah, you're not, um, these are not under rate, that's for sure. Like, two power, three, three typically comes with a disadvantage, and this Combray card has an advantage. Yes. Uh, and then a two power, two, three is, can be really good if there's a lot of two twos in the format. And this card is a crazy blocker, very threatening to attack with, um, makes your other Onis more dangerous. There's a lot of cards that are, like, incidentally Onis. Mm -hmm. And then the flying lifesteal is a, is a difficult combination to deal with. With the yes. card. So I think that card is interesting. Now that card requires being enabled because the three power two three non-flyer is not especially good. But the, the other two cards are standalone threats for sure. And I would I would put them in any deck that was in those colors, as many as I could. Mm-hmm. Yes, but my question is: I know in your first draft that we reviewed, you did pick Intrepid Longhorn first. Is a card like Intrepid Longhorn or Acclaimed Artisan? a card you're excited to play early or to pick early? So I'm in kind of a weird position in this draft format. I did three drafts and all three of them were more than two colors. Mm -hmm. Like I was splashing in every one. I wasn't really trying to splash, but I'd be like, I'd have a main color that was 60% of my cards. And then I'd have one or two little splashes and it just worked out really easily. So I, th I think with the Combray and Recano cards, you, you do want to be in a little more of an aggressive strategy there in those colors because you want to play them on curve for the mastery abilities and for their, their bodies to be most relevant. Um, but I think those are like supported archetypes and uh, powerful enough to warrant picking them. If they're up against like draw strength or uh, Grodov's favored, then Maybe I would take those over it, um, but I think they're strong enough to be a multicolor card. Uh, pick one, pack one. I I don't worry too much about that. If I'm taking a big hit in power, I, well, obviously I wouldn't take a big hit in power to to uh, draft a card. I I think the single color cards are probably better. Pick one, pack one. Uh, 
but I think the multicolor cards are in the running if it's uh, pack four, pick one, for example. I might yeah, take a long I mean, they're definitely, in general, way better on rate, but still hard for me to to want to pick them early just because of, yeah. you know, the format as it is currently. If they were, like, if a card is powerful, then I'll pick it. And if I can't play it, I can't play it. But um, I've actually done quite a fair amount of splashing in this format and the evangelists do a lot fix your power but like i said i wouldn't maybe you take the the top commons over these pick uh, pack one i think you probably don't take them over them uh pack four and then like strong uncommons you could you could take those over here and certainly rares i did play against someone with uh four longhorns and that was a hard game to win yeah <laughs> Uh, but thankfully, they drew a lot of the Longhorns late. It is a very powerful card, I think. Yes. No, I agree. Especially because there's not a ton of three damage spells in the format. You know, I think there's just con flag. Yeah. And there's a lot of two twos, two threes, that sort of thing. Yeah. That three threes do pretty well against. Yeah. Especially. Or, or two threes, even. Yeah. Yeah. Especially three threes per two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what. So you pulled each individual combination, so we know the, the best fire, the best justice, and so on. And then you took the winners of those and you pulled them against each other. So what, what took down the crown of the best of the best here? It was Gradov's favored, the time card. So it was not only the only unanimous card of its in its respective color, it also took down as sort of the most pack one pick oneable card of all the commons yeah it got like 75 percent of the votes when stacked up against the other uh, other contenders so that's pretty mm-hmm. strong uh, evidence towards that being a pretty good card uh draw strength uh the longhorn and the immortalized got some votes and for some reason skyhorde draconis didn't uh didn't compete against these other colors i'm not sure why <laughs> Yeah, uh, that, I am a little surprised. I know uh, Grudov's favor was the only unanimous card, but I kind of expected people to pick draw strength to be. Uh, I, yeah, I would too. Yeah, I expected that to be a little a stronger contender since it did get. It was another one that got all but one in its color. Uh, I think we'll talk a little bit about draw strength in the next segment, uh, and I think I know why it might not be quite as good. Mm-hmm. as uh, Gordov's favorite. Yeah, because the other thing that was making me think that is, at least in my draft so far, I have seen and have been able to pick up a lot more Gordov's favored than Draw Strengths, which I mm. never see, despite it yeah. being common. Well, people might be um, overvaluing it right now. I think that's quite possible. Or they might be seeing a, a six drop in time and saying... I want the, the game to be over before turn six. So mm-hmm. they have, they're on a different plan. And with your Elysian decks, it fits, fits right in yes. with the whole, the whole strategy. So. Okay. So now we're going to go on to our second main topic, which is sort of a summary and application of Ben's uh, five-phase five phase theory for set seven. So we're just going to do a quick summary and run through of the new cards and how they apply. 
Sure. So uh, just as a, a very high level recap, there's uh, five phases that we discussed already. The winning phase where you have a significant board advantage, the losing phase where you have a significant board disadvantage, the developing stage, which is like the first five turns of the game, playing on curve, that sort of thing. The racing phase where you're actively trading damage and your life totals are both decreasing. Uh, and then the parity state where there's a large board stall with no like clear route to victory. So in general, what we would advocate that you do when you look at cards and try and consider whether they're good or bad is to consider whether those cards are good in uh, these phases. And if a card is perhaps only good in one phase or not very good in certain phases, then that might cause it to be rated a little lower or picked a little lower than uh, a more generally applicable card. So what we're going to do here is we're going to take a look at uh, a few cards from the set seven packs and apply this theory to them and see where it takes us. So the very first card that uh, I wanted to call it here is draw strength. And so this worked really well with the poll. Uh, again, it's a one power uh, fast spell. Uh, it's kind of like a uh, it gives attack and health equal to the number of enemy units that are there. Uh, and then you can decimate it for three Warcry 1 triggers. Mm -hmm. um, so how does this card do in a parity situation? Well, let's say you, you both have four creatures or something like that. Yeah, I think that's in parity, it's where it might be at its um, at its best. That's one of the stronger phases for it, for sure. Yeah. So when you have this, it enables you to make an attack. And then if your opponent lines up like a double block or triple block, mm -hmm. you can give your guy plus four, plus four for one power. Maybe do some other combat trick as well. Uh, maybe develop a unit as well to follow up and just have a very good turn. Uh, and that turn is often the end of the game from your opponent's perspective. They'll, they will lose several creatures, uh, you might lose nothing, and it's no longer a parity situation <laughs> because you have, your, you have your guys and they have nothing, typically. Uh, what about in, on defense mm -hmm. when, you're, when you're losing? Is this a good card? Yes, this is also a good card on defense because theoretically you're on defense because they have more attackers than you. Yeah. And you might have, for example, like a 3-3. Three, three. And they might have a 3-3, three, three, a 4-4, a four, four, and a 2-2, two, two, right? Mm -hmm. And there is no attack there that does not get destroyed by draw strength. Um, right. Like they, you can just block their 2-2 two, two and kill it. You could block their 4-4 four, four and draw strength. Um, it works better for the defender than the attacker because... The, the guy, the person who is losing the game, it works better for them because if your opponent has draw strengths, uh, they may only be plus one, plus one, uh, and your draw strength may be plus three, plus four, uh, in this sort of a situation. So it's it's good against itself on defense, and I think this is probably the phase, one of the phases where it's the strongest. Yeah, like the decimate ability is not not crazy here unless you have too much power. Um, when, when you're losing, but it can allow you to catch back up, and I've decimated it many times on defense. Yeah, no, I think that, like you said, if it's if it's late game and you're losing, then I think the decimate, you know, is actually a pretty strong ability because 
it might allow you to get, you know, will buff your blocker, your future blockers, hopefully. Yeah. And since you just played draw strength, you probably traded off for their biggest attacker. So you, you've given yourself a little breathing room by playing it, and then you hopefully have bigger reinforcements coming in the future then to swing the game in your favor. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point, Patrick. Very nice. What about uh, when you are winning the game? Perhaps the least important phase, but we should still talk about it. Right. And I think this is where it, it it does pretty well in this phase, too, because, you know, there are two types of races. There's one where you're just like absolutely obliterating your opponent and they're on defense and they have no chance. You know, you're just you might have one unit and you have three or four or something right. like that. And it's not good there, but you're winning. So, you know, who cares yeah. if it's not great in that situation? It's but, OK. You know, maybe maybe it allows you to trade with their creature if they took an, a greedy block or something. Yeah. And, okay. But but in the other type of racing situation where both of you've decided I'm going to win this race. Yeah. I, I think that is another case where it excels because you're both a spacing and oftentimes in those situations, you know, you have you can have two, three, four little guys all attacking in. And so you're getting that huge health benefit. And then, then it's almost akin to a, bo- a bottoms up where it's a win out of nowhere card. Is what sure, you're if you have an, a guy they can't block because you're racing. Yeah. And, and that works even if they de- deploy some blocking units. Because the more blockers they deploy, the more the buff goes off for on whatever they can't block. So exactly. it can be enough, it, like no matter what they do. It's, it's a very scary card to play against, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about in a, uh, we talked about parity. Oh, so developing is what's last. Developing, yeah. What about developing? Yeah, developing, I'm not, I'm not super excited about it in the developing phase. Yeah, it's powerful because it costs one. So you can maybe do two things on the same turn. But yes. you're not going to get like the full win the game aspect out of it. Yes. Like card... I... Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think in developing phase, it's much, this card is much more dependent on your deck than the other phases because it depends. You know, if you're an aggressive deck where you're just happy spending a card to get rid of one of their blockers then I think it's pretty okay. But if you're sort of a mid-range deck where you're not really as concerned about their board, then, you know, you've, then you've just spent a card to get rid of one of their units, and it's probably not a premium unit, yeah. when that card could be so much better you know, this draw strength could be so much better later on. Um, and then maybe you can decimate it then. You probably shouldn't be decimating this in the developing stage. Yes. Um, so so I think I think it's its use varies a lot in um, depending on the deck in the developing phase. Yeah. I, I think it's it's well above average in like three of the phases. And then the mm-hmm. other two it's kind of it's fine. It's not like it's bad. Yes. You, you do have to have a unit to play it on. Sometimes in, in a large 
board parity situation, their draw strength can be better than your draw strength, uh, which can be a problem. But mm-hmm. I would say in general, it's it's a, just a very strong card. You, you really can't beat one power fast spell. Uh, so it, it earns a spot, I think, as one of the top uh, justice commons. What's interesting about applying this theory to this is this is obviously a good card. I think anyone who plays this card can realize a good card. But it's good to go through each of the five phases to think about where it's best and how best to use it. And then sort of these like little nuances also come out of it about like, say, in in a race, you're like, oh, well, actually, you know, there's different ways to think about how to use this in a race and what kind of race you're in or in developing, you know, depending on my deck is this card, you know, this card is fine in developing, but is this a good card in this deck that I'm drafting in developing? Or is the deck I'm drafting actually not need a combat trick in developing? And so maybe it's not, you know, maybe if you're, if you have this in hand and you're a mid-range deck, this is not necessarily a card you want to play. It's a card you want to wait till later to... Yeah. 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 Use it against their combat trick or use it against their removal spell that does damage or their relic weapon or something like that. Mm-hmm. Works pretty well there. So the next cards we wanted to review was the Edict Cycle. So what do you have to say about that, Ben? Right. So uh, there's five Edicts. They all do something to two of the enemy quote unquote colors. Uh, and basically, it's a, they're all removal spells. Like mm-hmm. it's a one to three cost removal spell. I don't really care to talk about them individually at a at a high level. We may save that for a future point. But in general, one to three power removal spell is extremely good in all phases. Now, it's not doesn't always do that. So uh, we should think about what the fall what the fail case of these are. So uh, I think the the best ones. Uh, are probably the green silence because you you mentioned before silence is very powerful in this format uh, maintains a board stall that's the justice card mm-hmm. uh, and then the uh, time card uh, is a uh, un is a bounce spell it returns a unit to its owner's hand a unit or spell I think and that is very useful in a format with mastery. Um, it's good against combat tricks. It's good against exalted. It knocks the weapons off yes. once they get equipped. It has a lot of um, a lot of applications. It is the most expensive one, but uh, it's basically a blink. Um, so that that card is just kind of good on its own. Yeah, and I think that, and it's the only fast spell. It is the only one that is fast. That's a very good point. And just as fast speed bounce a unit that's that would be very good in this format even without the you know kill a a primal or shadow unit so uh now the other three i would say that there's a slow speed stun for primal there's a unit can't block in shadow and there's one damage is that temper without the without the war cry buff in fire and i think those effects are pretty marginal um slow speed stun we're not really a fan of that i think uh in the fail case it's still a it's still a kill spell in the if you're targeting a fire or a time unit but like a unit can't block i'm not not real wild about making one unit not be able to block 
and deal one damage. Th those seem kind of bad. So, so I think with those spells, you have to think about how um, how that effect impacts the phases of the game that you're in. I, I think as a removal spell, it's going to be an A in all all the phases, basically. Uh, so I th I think the the time one, like we said, the bounce spell, it earns its keep because it's the the fallback case is still very good. Silence is the next next tier down, I think, and then the other three are kind of tied for last place. I would say there. What, would would you say that those effects are pretty weak in basically every phase? The slow speed stun unit can't block and one damage. Yes. Or do you like? Do you think they're actual cards? No, I, I agree. I think those three are not particularly great cards. Um, you in, know, like and, and basically in any phase, right? Basically in any phase. Yeah, maybe maybe when you're winning, they're they're good. But cards that are only good in the winning phase are kind of you can do better than that for the most part. Yeah, <laughs> and they're all below rate for what you would expect for cards that are good in the winning phase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, so it has to be like just the right amount of winning for it, yes. to, for it to win the game for you. How how's your experience with these cards been, just in general? Like, have have they been okay? Yeah, I've mostly just played the Edict of Gradov, the time one. The time and one, that yeah. one has been very good. You know, it's like you said, it it works especially well against um, Exalted. It can be okay against Mastery. You know, it doesn't. I guess it resets mastery, not in a good way for you. Well, but... it, may, it depends on... Okay, so <laughs> if they've already gotten their mastery trigger, then you give them the opportunity to get their mastery trigger again, which yeah. is not great. But I do think it's not totally inapplicable against mastery because there are just times where they're attacking. Like you said, if they put a combat trick in, you can sort of negate the combat trick and negate their hit. But also just like, you're like, well, I don't want them to trigger mastery this turn. So I'm just going to bounce their unit to their hand, give myself a couple turns to figure out how to deal with it. And so because you bounced it, it's not dealing any damage. So it's at, at least not hitting the mastery. Yeah, I, I think the time one is is very strong in all phases, in, in all modes, even if they don't have the trick. There's just so many options there. You can't bounce your own units, so you can't save your guy from a removal spell or t knock a curse off or something like that. But it's, it's it seems very powerful. Okay. And then the others, I would I would be cautious in playing them at high numbers, at at the very least. There, I think you can probably play one and it's fine. But I, for example, I haven't drafted the the shadow one very highly. Yeah, and I played a lot of shadow, and I haven't really drafted the fire one very highly either. That's just me, though. Maybe I'll come around to it in the future. Uh, do you want to go move on to the next card? Yeah. Yeah, it, the Shadow one I could see being good because there's time and justice are two good enemies to have. Yeah, that is true. It's going to kill a lot of flyers. It's going to kill a lot of big guys. So the next card we wanted to go over is Gaudy Showman, which is the three fire, four one, summon, exhaust an enemy unit. Okay. So how is this card in, let's say, developing? I think it's okay. I mean, having one health is never great. 
Sure. Uh, but if you've played a two drop and you play this, you're probably getting in. You're probably getting in with your two drop, and if you're an aggressive deck, that's a pretty good development. Yeah, or if you have mastery, or if you have whatever else. Yeah. Also, does it really matter? Like, if this was a four two, what, what's blocking this as a four one that can't block it as a four two? So it, it's gonna it's gonna be able to attack, let's mm-hmm. say. and you're not gonna be able to block it and have your guy live. Uh, how is it on defense? It's it can kill some things. It's yeah. not surviving, obviously. Yeah, it's going to die to anything but, but that costs like one to four power, but it's going to kill it. Yeah. Uh, I so will let's... say... Go ahead. The thing that always makes me nervous with these, of relying on these on defense, is that one health... It's just they're so incidentally easy to kill. So it's they're hard cards to rely on for defense. Sure, but I think I think for the most part, when people play a removal spell, that removal spell should be able to kill one to three health worth of things. Yes. Uh, so, like, if the, the, this has one instead of... Like, if it had three health, it'd be great. It'd be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but if it had two, it'd be about the same. And as having one, I just... Like, it means you can't do certain blocks, but you can do others. Yeah, I guess my point is when I'm thinking of on defense, is like you're losing the game and you're like, well, luckily I have my 4-1 to keep back their 4-4 or their 5-4. It's like a flame javelin where you don't, not flame javelin, magma javelin where you don't take the damage. Yes, but the problem is it's reactive and you're not proactive. I'm holding back their 5-4, so I'm not going to die this turn. And then all of a sudden, they played this Edict of Shavka that they've had in their hand, not able to kill anything, and you've lost your 4-1. You know what I mean? And you're dead. Sure. Sure. As as compared to, like you were saying, if it was like a a 4-3, you know, that's much... You you can more comfortably rely on it on defense because it's not done in, like accidentally die. It's not going to like stub its toe and die. Sure. Like this uh, but I mean, they don't make four threes for three at, at common. No, they uh, don't. I know. But look. And this does have an ability over a, over a three, three. Yes. So I, I agree that it's not on defense. It is a mixed bag because it can kill things that cost more than it, but it's going to die killing things that cost less than it. So like a two, two attacks you. Mm hmm. Do you want to block it or not? Sometimes you'll have to. So it's not like a six power four one or something like that, where it's your whole turn. Right. Yeah. So maybe you can do two things, and doing two things on defense is kind of good mm-hmm. in the in the turn like five to six range. So like, if you let's say you have the four one and the three three, right? That's going to be pretty good defense against a lot of boards. They they have to have like either just a ton of units or one really big one to be able to get through. Because either you sack your four one to kill it, or you kill something for free with your three three. So, like, if you have a mix of unit types, it can be okay. So, what about in a racing situation? Is this card good in a race? This card is great in a race. Yeah, you get rid of one of their blockers for a turn, and then on your next turn, um, you have another four or four damage coming, four attack unit coming in. Yeah, for sure. Like it's. It, it's like a double threat there. Kind of has like some 
charge built into it if you have some board position. If their plan was to chump block, they're not they're not chump blocking anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, like uh, in a in a board parity situation, I think it's not very good. Would you agree? Yeah. Like if there's a lot of units on both sides, it's yeah, not amazing. It's not, it's not very good, but it's not bad because it's sort of the same as in on defense. It's sort of hitting above its weight in hold in in keeping the parity a parity. Yeah, and maybe if they have if they're the if the parity is uh, contingent on their them having some big creature and you exhaust their some big creature. Maybe that enables an attack with something else, mm-hmm. even though you couldn't normally attack. And maybe that starts a race up. And yes. if you turn a, bar- a parity situation into a race situation where you're attacking first and you just played a 4-1, that's not, that's not bad. But right. it's, it's going to be a little um, conditional there on how, how good it is. Overall, I think this card is much better than it looks. It looks like real bad, I would say. But... I think it's pretty good in developing. It's pretty good on when you're winning. It's very, I would say very good when you're winning. It's okay in parity, okay uh, on defense, good in a race. Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot of like okays to really good, um, and that's a lot to deliver for a three drop. Like, yeah, and what I do you think, really expect there. Yeah, this this conversation actually has me a little higher on this card than I had been. And I think one of the things holding back this card in my mind had just been how bad a lot of the old fire sort of high attack, low health units have been. But the other difference that this unit has over those is those were often higher cost too. Yeah. The fact that this is three cost Mm -hmm. is, you know, really, I think, bumps up this card. Yeah. I mean, it is a little understated. You'd want your three drop to have six stat points, and this mm-hmm. only has five. But you know, at least it's not a five power five two or a six power six three or something like that, which is multiple stat points understated. Yeah. Uh, and that it's so cheap means if your opponent stumbles, they're taking four, and four is a lot. Board position. I played a lot of this guy in the last uh, stream, and. I often like looked at my opponent's life total and they were like eight or something. And that, that's just because they took four a bunch of times. Like it, they die really quick when you, when you do more damage than the power cost of the unit. <clears throat> Let's talk about Breath of Voprex, which is a card that is extremely confusing to evaluate, I would say. <laughs> and I think phase theory will do quite a lot to help explain why this card uh, might not be the best card in the format. Um, so Breath of Vorprex is a two fire fast spell that does five damage to a unit unless the opponent uh, chooses to have the Breath of Vorprex deal five damage to them instead. So sure. your opponent gets the choice of whether you get to kill their unit or deal five to them. Or the kill in that it deals five damage. It might not kill them. What do you what do you think about this? What, what's a phase you'd like to talk about this card in, Patrick? Well, I I think we can just go through all of them. Uh, you know, when you start with developing, this is not a great card in developing. So why why is it not a great card in developing? Don't you kill a unit for for two power? That's a good deal, right? 
That is a great deal. The problem is early in the game, it's health is less of a concern for your opponent and it's more of a resource. And so they're much more likely to just take five damage, which may matter in the end, but you've also wasted a card and didn't kill them. When when power is tight, or yes. most most important for the strategy of kill them with things, you can you develop a two two on turn two. You can attack with that multiple times. You deal five five damage to their face, and the effect is over of mm-hmm. the spell. And then they have more time to develop and set up uh, some defenses. That's yep. very good. So developing seems quite bad. Yes, uh, and so a, an, another yeah. phase where it's bad is obviously when you're behind. Why, why is it bad when you're behind? <laughs> because you're losing, which usually means that your opponent is winning and therefore probably, once again, has a health uh, or life total cushion that allows them to really decide which mode will be best for them, which is not something that you 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 don't want to give your opponent a choice where one of those choices might be not that bad for them. Yeah, they may, your opponent may be at 25 life and paying, they would gladly pay 5 health to have you discard a card and spend some power. Um, okay, so not very good when you're behind. Um, what about when you are ahead? I think this is the, uh, the phase where it's probably at its best, especially if you're in an aggressive deck, because... You're either clearing a blocker for your attackers to get in, or you're doing that last five points of damage to kill them. And it must be said, five points is a lot of damage. Right. What if they don't have any creatures? Yeah, you must target a creature. Mm. What if their defender has more than five health? That can be a little awkward. What if you're what if they're at ten? And you're ahead because you have three two twos and they have a three three. Can they just take the five still there? But I think in that situation, as the attacker, you know, you still have them dead on board if they have nothing else to do. In yeah. the in the case where they have a three three and you have two or you have three two twos and they're if they have nothing whatsoever. Exactly. Yeah, because they're gonna get knocked down to one. If they're and, ten, yeah. Yeah. And then you, if they play any creature, you're kind of stuck. And that was yeah. your removal spell. Yeah, though hopefully you have something else to do too. with your. Yeah, yeah. hopefully your low-curve aggro deck can play some stuff. But if your low-curve aggro deck has a bunch of these in it, then maybe that's what you got. Um, also, like if your opponent stabilizes and starts swinging back, they can often just lose the unit and it doesn't matter. Um, what about in a large board stall, a parody situation? How good is this card? It's dependent. I wouldn't say it's a great card. I You could come up with scenarios where it's good. Um, sure. You're, ideally, you kill your opponent's biggest guy, except yeah. they just take five. Yeah. And it's still a board stall. Uh, what about in a racing situation? So they uh, have two, two, two power flyers, and you have a three power ground creature. Yeah, I mean, I think in a racing situation, once again, you can imagine situations where it's good to great, 
and you can imagine more of those situations than say in some of the other phases but probably i think the the choice there makes it probably not do what you want to do um that you're giving the opponent the choice yes maybe they you're racing two versus three and you kill their guy and now you're racing three versus zero but they just play another guy or whatever like it doesn't win the game like they will choose the mode that is less less good for you I, i think something that's very important to point out about this card is that it's a gun down that doesn't have a restriction and is a fast spell right it does five damage, which is the same as gun down. Gun down requires the unit to not have quick draw, and this doesn't have that. And Breath of Voprex is a fast spell where gun down is a slow spell. Gun down is better than this card. Yeah. This card costs zero, and gun down would probably still be a better card. Uh, even though it doesn't have the, the opportunity to deal five damage to their face, even though it is a fast spell, even though it costs less, like... It just it's it's a problem. Uh, gi- giving your opponents choices is like very dangerous <laughs> in, a, in a spell like this. Yeah, I think the fact, and I hadn't realized this until we just reviewed it now, the fact that you you can't play this when they have no units really, I think, hinders this card. It's kind of a problem. Would you wouldn't you rather just have like a two two? Yeah. This? Like in 90% of cases. And then if that's the case, how good is this card? I don't know. Not not very, I think, is the answer. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that this, even even when you're winning, you can, like, strand this in your hand as compared to guarantee a kill on that turn. Right. I think lowers the the card in my eyes. Yeah, let's say you're winning because they're at 4 and you're at 20 or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to have this because my last card in my hand. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll, I'm going to hit you up with softball here, Patrick. What about the card Grodov's Favored? Yeah. How does that evaluate in phase three? Pretty good. I mean, it's we decided it's our number one common of the set. So I imagine that lends itself to being good in phase theory, but we could go over it. The first is developing. This is an interesting because we kind of talked about developing as being like your first five turns, and this obviously yeah. does not fall into that. Not very good in the first five turns. <laughs> not usually. Now, so time does have some acceleration, so yeah, maybe you can play it. Most of them are uncommon, though. Once you get your sixth power, this is great. does excel in the other phases. For example, in a race, you're very happy to be hitting... Uh, your opponent for six damage every turn and potentially grounding one of their flyers. And that might be the end of that race, right? Yes. If their plan is hit you in the air while you hit them on the ground, they're not hitting you in the air anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it guarantees that you can keep hitting them in the air if you are the one with the flyer. Yep. That's pretty good. And then at parity, pretty good. You know, first off, it it continues to clog, it helps clog up the board by being a big ground body. Um, it makes parity more likely to continue, which if that's what your deck wants, can be a good thing. It's one more roadblock to stop your opponent from breaking parity, which is what you don't want when you're at parity. You yeah. want to be the one that breaks parity. You don't want your opponent to be the one that breaks the parity. 
I, I think you can envision some board situations where you would have six power to spend, you would have a Grodov's favorite in your hand, and you would not cast it. Yes. Because you're just waiting for your opponent to do something relevant so that you can silence it. That is like one of a very hard skill to learn as a player to like not just use your card when you can use it. But I think, and the fact that it almost with this card in particular, where it's such a strong body, you're like, well, how could this be bad to just like play it and then have a six five on board? Because, you know, like we talked about earlier, it's, it's not above rate or on rate, but it's pretty close to rate being a six, five or yeah. six. But the fact is if this is, if the body is not breaking the board stall that you're currently in, then you might as well just hold it back and wait for, wait to be able to get the like two for one out yeah. of it. Almost. Yeah. And I mean, most of the 90% of the time it's going to be right to play it. Like even in some board stall situations, you just play it and just jam in there for six and trade off some guys and get and then maybe that'll break the board stall. But if it's if it's like eight units on each side, like that nothing is happening there. Cool. Uh, what about uh, yeah? You you said it's good good on offense, good on defense. Great on if defense. you're losing, you silence their whatever their scariest unit is, block and kill the. Other one, pretty reasonable. Yeah, the mm. only argument about it not being is the fact that it's six cost, which if you're facing yeah. down a lot of units is not, you know, the best, but it's a, it's still pretty good on defense. It, it won't, like, it's not a, it's not going to single-handedly stabilize you in every board position. Right. But there's not many cards that will. And... It, it it probably makes the opponent's board position much worse. There's certainly some cards the opponent could have that where the silence effectively kills it, and that's going to be about as good as you can do for a card. Kill, kill a unit and still have a huge uh, body left over. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, one card that people were talking about quite a lot in the Discord was Chant of Grodov, especially when the set just came out. Chant of Grodov is a slow spell yeah, for two time that says... Each unit in your hand gets plus one, plus one, and overwhelm. So this is a very interesting card to, to try and evaluate. What do you think about this card in developing, like on curve? I would rather play a 2-2 two, two for two, personally. Yeah, I think you kind of have to play it. That's the only place where it is actually good. <laughs> so if you have it in your hand, you better play it on, on two. Because whatever you let, let's say you have a 2-2 two, two for two in your hand, right? You'd rather have a 3-3 for 2. Yes. It's still not great in developing because you're probably just floating. You know, you're you're just you're done to play your you're now 3-3 for 2 on turn 3 then, which is still just on curve. It's not like and it's you probably don't have a one power spell to or another one power unit to like take advantage of the fact that your turn three play only costs two so i agree yeah so maybe you play your three drop on three and then you play the two two drops you have in your hand on four or something like that yes yeah no there's definitely situations where it's 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 it can be good i think Um, realistically it's it's kind of hard to buff a lot of units with this even on curve 
Yes. Because you're just not going to have enough units in your hand. It, it's it's not retroactive or anything like that. Uh, it's just whatever you have at the time. So you, you're gonna not going to have more than like three is the max. I would say that you're going to have three units in your hand. Even that is, you know, that's a pretty. You're feeling pretty good if you. That's like yeah, like you said, a max. Like yeah. wow, I really did it. I buffed <laughs> yeah. three units. Yeah. What about on uh, defense? How good is this card on defense? Pretty horrible. Uh, especially if you're behind because you're not behind because you have all these cards in your hand, these units in your hand that you didn't play. Make, making the units that you have bigger is less important than just getting something out there to interact with your opponent. Mm-hmm. What about um, in a race? In a race? I mean, it's not great. Not, not once you're in a race. If you cast it before you get into a race, then maybe it's okay because your units have overwhelm and it's hard to race overwhelm units. But certainly if you draw it after you're in a race, it's absolutely terrible Yeah, because it doesn't do anything. Exactly. And I don't think you should say, oh, it's good in a race because if I draw this in my opening hand and then in this game I get into a race, it's going to be great. Yeah. It's like it's, I agree. A, a lot of hypotheticals. To- yeah. What about when you're uh, <laughs> when there's a big board stall? Not great. Not great either. Probably you probably played all of your units. You might hold some. Yeah. But like probably if it's an evasion unit, your Gradov's favored. Exactly. So. so it can be slightly bigger in a in a huge board stall. And if you had flat, if you had evasive units, which are where it's most important to put this buff on it, you would have played those so you could attack. Um, so I think it's pretty bad there too. So I think it has one, and even when you're winning, when you're winning, it's not really that good because you would rather just play another unit when you're winning. Um, so this is like a one mode card and that mode is developing. So it's kind of hard for me to get behind this card. It really matters what your opening hand is. This is a card. I kind of talked about this in the last episode like this is a good card when it's in your opening hand but that is not super likely to happen and so cards that are like that have really gone down from a lot for me recently in, in yeah. a sense. like and the the example that we talked about last week is the the two cost time one two with mastery two to gain deadly and it's a it's one cost, right? It's a some kind of snake, or it costs one. You kind of yeah. have to have it get deadly, and it's not like super apparent how you're going to make that happen. Yeah, a, like the way that it happens turn. is if you play that on turn one and your opponent stumbles, then you have a great unit on the play, right? Yeah, half the time on the play, but like that is a lot to ask for, and I feel like Chant of Gradov is very similar in that sense. Is like Yes, you can imagine a situation where it's great, but it requires so many things to go in your favor that that's not really something, that's not a card that you want in your deck. Yeah. It also doesn't buff weapons. It doesn't buff cards that make units, mm-hmm. like the uh, time common that gives you two 1-1 one, one cultists, decimate, get two more 1-1 one, one cultists. Well, it combos with the decimate ability, but mm-hmm. not with the primary ability. It's not. A, it doesn't do anything on its own. Like War, I really like to compare Warbrushoni to this card. Warbrushoni is great in developing. It's wonderful. 
because you play it and it's a creature and then it does the same thing Chant of Grotov does but it also buffs weapons and it does some other stuff and then you can attack them you got a 2-1 that's like having a whole extra card uh, on top of this chant and and then you know if you draw it late you can still play it it's still a, a thing so I don't know how would this change if it was a 1-1 it'd be a lot better i tell you that but um, or if it cost 1 it would no. be a lot better yeah. Either one of those things would be a, an amazing buff to this. But like, <laughs> take the spell and turn it into a unit. I like it a little more, right? Because yeah. it's a unit. <laughs> I, I like units quite a lot. Yeah, but, like, but you don't like one ones very much. Not much, no. Now, like but if see, it was I, a two one, then we have Warbrushoni again. Yeah, I think that this card, even at one cost, is not is not very good. It's way better at one cost, right? Because you can play it on turn one and then play your two two on turn two. Yeah, I I guess that's true. But again, that's like it's way better. But it's way better if you draw this in your opening hand. It's still still conditional. Now Hearthstone had this card as a Paladin card in that game. It cost one, and in Hearthstone you have an ability that you always have that just you can spend power to do something. Mm-hmm. So you spend power to do something instead of playing the cards in your hand. You build up your hand. You build up your hand, and then you cast this thing and deploy a bunch of big guys. And it's cheap enough to do that. But that's Hearthstone. In Eternal, you're not guaranteed a power drop every turn. It Costing two is way worse than costing one. You don't have a just like a ability you can always use to, to make creatures to keep you alive. It's, it's not, um, not the same. So the next card I'd like to talk about here is Mistrust. Mistrust has generated a lot of discussion. Uh, on, in the Discord and in forums in general. It's a four-cost Justice Cursed Relic. So it is a, a curse for curse synergies. And if your opponent plays a unit, uh, the Mistrust goes away and you get two 3-2 uh, Paladins. Uh, so this is a very interesting card. Like you've said before, it's kind of like Wormstone. It's kind of like... Um, uh, some of the cards that we've seen before, Arachidon Egg, mm-hmm. it has kind of a similar behavior. Um, what what do you think about this card in uh, in Phase Theory? I think putting this through the Phase Theory gauntlet continues to make it an interesting card because when I think about it in developing, it's hard for me to figure out how to describe it accurately because, in one sense, you know, spending four power to do nothing is not great, but the fact that both you and your opponent are probably developing because you're in the developing phase means that it's early on and they are very likely to have to eventually play another unit. And I do think what I would like to ask first is do you think just like a straight, if this was just a no strings attached four power play two three twos, is that a good card for you? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's like... An ancient Terrazon, but it costs one less. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's quite good. Yeah. So I th- I think in developing it is closer to that than the other phases. Yeah, I agree. But because your opponent kind of has to keep playing stuff, mm-hmm. they probably are not out of gas at that point. Now, if if you got to four power a little slowly, maybe they're all developed. But I think in developing is that is probably the stage where it's the best. What about when you're losing? Losing is not great. 
Um, you know, why do you say that? <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> because it's spent four power do nothing? Yes. It does depend a little bit on how badly you're losing. If you're losing very badly, it's it's sort of it correlates with that. The more badly you're losing, the worse it is. But there are, you know, the, the one thing is if you're just losing a little badly and you still have a few turns left at life, it's not the worst. It's not the worst card. And it's kind of relates to what I talked about a couple weeks ago, where I think in the losing phase, it really correlates to how good your opponent is because you can play this. You're not dead yet, but your opponent might not have to play a unit, but like you might then in the next draw step or two get another unit and sort of now have enough of a door, a board presence that your opponent has to play a unit to try to like, you know, to stop you from stabilizing, which only forces, which only causes you to stabilize more. Yeah. I think if you are stabilized, it's, okay but that's parody not uh not losing right i think if you have like a three three versus three three twos you're just going to be taking six damage until you die that they will just jam you are forced to trade and they're not going to play a creature um right and they'll just deal with what they have so when you're losing let's just we'll consider losing and then we'll consider things that are closer to parody or racing or something like that no i agree but i'm just saying like in your situation where they have Two, two three threes, and you have a three three. Right? That's not losing. That's almost that's almost developing or parity at that point. Well, then what because, was what was your example? Let's say they have like uh, three three twos, and you have a three three, right? Uh huh. Or they have two three twos, and you have nothing. Or three three twos, and you have nothing. Or you know a bunch of two twos, and you don't you have the, the closer you are to like picking off their guys one at a time or two at a time, the, the better this is going to be, because that's you're getting closer to being stable. Yes. Um, but if you are truly losing, like three versus zero creatures, four versus one, yes. that sort of a situation, they're just going to attack you with what they have. No, I, thing, that, that I agree with, yeah. Uh, another thing that makes this kind of bad is they can attack you and then play your, their creature. Right. So you still take the damage from that turn, and then they can still develop. Uh, and all all your mistrust does is trade with a couple other guys that they developed, and so you take that same damage again the next turn. Uh, so it's a I would say pretty pretty terrible in uh, when you're losing, and when you're losing is the worst phase in my opinion, the worst phase for a card to be bad. Yeah, that's that's the where you need your cards to do something or you lose. Um, when you're at parity, you know, if you draw a card and it doesn't do anything, you're still a parity. When you're losing, you don't draw anything, you die. And then it's time for the next game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the phase I think about the most, to be honest. But uh, when you're winning this uh, mistrust, what do you think about mistrust when you're winning? It's not, it's not great. I it's think okay. It's, like it's, if they play a defender, then you, get, you have some more ability to go around them. I guess, but it's not, it's nowhere near as good as just playing, you know, some creatures. Yeah. And it's not like a, I win the game card. Yeah. 
which is kind of what you want. If you're putting a card in that's good for winning, that's kind of what you want it to do. Yeah. Which is not what you would be doing with mistrust. Yeah. What about uh, parity? Parity is always tricky because it really depends on what what you mean by parity. The fact is that three twos twos aren't great in a clogged up board state. But in smaller parity situations, like getting two units for one card, it's not bad. If it's like two three threes versus two three threes, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. The smaller the stall is, the better. I'll give that to the card. That's for sure. And then the last stage is racing. Just in general, it's a hard sell to play a card that does nothing in a race if your opponent does nothing. It is. You know, the one saving grace for this card in a race is that you get to attack with these units that turn. You know, when they play a creature. And not block with them. Yeah. Yeah. And not attack the previous turn. But I agree. I agree. They they do, like, if your opponent triggers it, then maybe you can get in with those, assuming yeah. they don't have, like, some kind of ground creature to block them. Yeah. Which they might not in a race. Yeah, like your muster deck or whatever, where you have a 3-5. Makes this look pretty bad. Yeah. If you have some uh, flying attackers. Okay. So but that's just generally true of any a lot of creatures make a three two look not great but that's actually not on curve like you play a three two on two you're doing something but that's why i kind of asked whether you thought two three twos for four was a good card or not i do think it would be a good card Mm -hmm. i'd be it'd be extremely good especially is it a it's an uncommon so i think it would be quite good that's well above rate but the, th- the problem is, is that that's not what the card is. Uh, just like Wormstone, would you pay four power for a 7-7? Seven, seven? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Um, but yeah, but I would rather... Yes. Yeah. But what I'm just saying is like a four power 7-7 seven, seven is way better than a four power two three twos. I agree completely, yes. I guess that's my deeper question is I'm just like not yet totally convinced that mistrust even on its own, like that a four power two three twos is that great of a card. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. There was, um, wasn't there a card for ranked that was two three twos or two two twos with Aegis, something like that? Yeah, Zolta's Envoy or something, or Sviata's Envoy, something like that. And that was a relatively high rarity card. Now they had Aegis, whatever, but it would be too, too good. To, to get two. Th- the thing is, you staple together two cards, you tend to have to pay more to get both of the cards. Yes. Um, so when you just add the costs together, it, that tends to be a little under-costed in terms of how things go. Yes. No, I, no, I agree. I agree that's sort of how they're costed. I also don't want to be relying on this curse to get my 2-3 lifesteal flyer in there mm-hmm. because a flash unit breaks the curse and their unit your unit doesn't fly anymore. Uh, it's it's like not a not a reliable source of of yeah. cursedness. Let's uh, wrap this up with the card Dread Hellkite because I think this card is extremely interesting. 
Uh, Dread Hellkite is a four-powered double shadow card that mm-hmm. has flying and deadly, and it's a 4-3. That's pretty good. 4-3 uh, flyer for four with a, an additional ability. Uh, it also can't block, but you don't really want to block with your 4-3 flyer anyway. And when you play it, it makes it puts a curse on another unit and makes that not able to block. So what do you think about this card, boy, in, in any phase? Yeah. Well, let's go through them. First is developing, where I think it's great. It's, you know, within our playing this on turn four sounds it's a, great. It's amazing, basically, right? Because you're doing... You make one of their guys it's like the gaudy showman, except they can never block, and you have a, your four power creature flies. Uh, sure, so it's it's phenomenal there. Yeah. Okay. What's the next one? Right. Great when you're winning, because uh, ex- you're dealing when you're winning. four damage a turn, and and they can't block. Right. And they can't block. So the, another like, and, and they can't block this guy either because it has deadly. So. Okay, what about when uh, you are at parity? When you're at parity? It's yeah. a flyer. It's great. It's flyer. amazing in, in parity, and it does all the things Gotti Showman does, like Gotti Showman plus plus. What about uh, in a race? In a race, once again, you're amazing. feeling pretty feeling... So, so it's great, right? Yeah. Is there any other phase? I, I must have forgotten a phase. Yeah, you did. Uh, when you're on defense <laughs> or losing. Uh, yeah. So how, how good is it when you're losing? Uh, depends on how badly <laughs> you're losing. Let's if, say let's say you're not you're not in you're not in the striking position here. Then four, I would four say power, four it's, not, it's not yeah. great because you can't block. You can't block, and the ability makes them not be able to block, so it kind of forces them to attack you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, pretty bad on defense. But I'd say in all the other categories, it's it's very strong. Just mm-hmm. it's it's an A, A, A plus in all the other categories. So what do you think that, how does that cause you to evaluate this card overall? Do you think it's, it's above average, good? I, I think it's a very good card. Yeah, I think it's one of the top uncommons in the set. Yeah. Because you just you don't get four attack flying for four power. Uh, and you you have to draft around it. It doesn't go in every deck. It doesn't go in a deck that's bad at defending <laughs> and bad at attacking. Yeah, I don't know, though. It's I think any deck that can play Double Shadow probably wants this in there. I think a mid-range deck is a little less interested in it, and a control deck is not very interested in it because really, because like you want your creatures to block, you want your your creatures to interact with their creatures. Yeah, no, that's true, but you do need a way to end the game. Yeah, yeah. If you're extremely good at creating parity situations, then this card is the card for you. Yeah, um, which is so what in, you in hope respect, mid-range yeah. and control decks are doing, right? Yeah, but you you can't have too much stuff like this because it's only a win condition. It right. doesn't stabilize you. You're you're going to be playing from behind as a mid ranger control deck. Your opponent will have creatures and will be attacking you with them. Uh, and if your cards can't interact with theirs, then you have to hope you can win a race, or you're not going to be in great shape. Right. But I I think the large majority of decks will will want this. I think you're right about that. Uh, you just can't have too much stuff that's like this because one of the areas you're weakest is 
uh, playing from behind. And, and the more your deck is playing on the front foot, the stronger this is going to be. So we're going to wrap this up for this week. Uh, we talked about our normal of the week segments. And our main topic this week was a Discord poll for top commons uh, for each color. If you want to get in on that action, check out the Discord. Uh, and then we wrapped up our phase theory and talked about how that can be used to evaluate cards in the 7.0 format. So I think this is all extremely useful information for the first few weeks of the format. I'm glad we could get this to people. Yeah, I, I am too. So I think we'll end our show there. So uh, once again, thanks to all our patrons for making the show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Like Ben said, join us in our Discord. We have a lot of activity going on in there. You can uh, find a link to that down below on your podcasting app. Finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. And don't forget to send all your seven win decks you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Good night. Night, everyone.